0: Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley, right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm so excited that you are tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. We've been in this study for a few weeks, deviated last week with a special guest, but we're getting right back into our verse-by-verse examination of this particular text uh, because it's convicting, and it should be. If we're not being convicted, we're probably reading the wrong book, so we really need to examine this text carefully Carefully, And what we're talking about today, what we're going to take away from this, I believe, is is a deeper understanding of this uh, idea of being pure before Almighty God and sexual purity before Almighty God. So this is a, a difficult subject to uh, talk about here on the radio, but I think a very necessary one, especially in this very casual society that we have here where we see just uh, sex permeating every uh, v- venue of media uh, whether it be through even uh, talk that's inappropriate on the radio, uh, through television, through Netflix, YouTube, take your pick. I mean, it just seems to permeate every sphere of influence in our culture today in, in a very casual perspective of it. And we're seeing this even within churches today. The Young people just seem to have a very casual perspective of sexuality. So this is a difficult subject to to have even as you listen to this right now, but it's necessary. Especially for you parents that are listening right now, you, you need to be informed on this to be able to train your teenagers accordingly, to raise them up in an understanding of God's will and, and divine purposes for their lives, that they should be set apart from the ways of the world. So please listen carefully to this and share this message with others. Let's get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 to 17, we read, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So the word here, joins or unites, is used in each of these verses. And what we see from the Greek uh, depictation of this, the Greek word for this, is what we would use for the word glue. Glue that you are gluing something together, like a gorilla glue, if you will. I'm not talking Elmer's glue. We're talking about some serious glue that brings two pieces together and joins them together. So an immoral man is then gluing himself to an immoral woman. On the other hand, what we find is that a believer should be gluing themselves to the Lord. So why do you think the word glue is used of a sexual relationship? Because sex acts Aren't purely physical. We may think there is no real personal involvement, but Paul says it's impossible to have a physical-only sexual relationship. There's no such thing as casual sex. There's no such thing as inconsequential sex or even recreational sex. It's just not possible by how God has designed the human body and how we interact with one another and why it's a gift to a married couple. So the sexual act is such an intimate act that it involves and affects the whole person, and Paul then quotes the Old Testament to prove his point in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. God says of the sexual act that the two will become one flesh or one personality, and we dare not dismiss sex as inconsequential, because your body is God's body. So when you have a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse, you're gluing yourself to that person instead of to the blessing of God. So the last three verses then bring tremendous encouragement about the resources that God has given to us to live a life of sexual purity. Let's go on, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. We read, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So verse 18 here offers the first command of our passage to flee Sexual immorality. It's a present imperative and should be translated, keep on fleeing or make it your habit to flee. So the Bible's advice for avoiding sexual immorality is simple. Stay as far away as possible from the persons and places and things that li- are likely to get you in trouble. So he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5:21 to22, to test all things, hold fast what is good, Abstain from every form of evil proverbs three seven to eight says, "Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, how serious is this? Well, let's listen to what Jesus has to say on the subject. Matthew chapter five verses twenty seven to thirty we read. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Again, that's Matthew 5, 27-30. Did you know that 90% of the data your mind retains comes through your eyes? And this data is processed 60,000 times faster than text. So it's no wonder that Satan brings so much visual temptation into our path that we would stumble. And and why should we then help him in this? You say, help him? Well, Satan is willingly putting this out. He desires to trip us up. And then when we succumb to that, when we give in to the temptation to to be entertained by the things of this world by saying, well, it's only an R rating, and it only has a little bit of sexual immorality in it, or this song only has a a bit of, you know, uh, some lyrics that are some choice lyrics that I probably shouldn't listen to, but, you know, the beat's really good, and the rest of the content's really good, and then we willingly subject ourselves to what Satan is putting out there, and, and then we just succumb to it and think that we're just impervious uh, to all of this temptation, especially the visual side, and and parents, we have to be mindful of the fact that YouTube and Netflix and every other uh, you know digital media out there that is providing video entertainment, there are less and less checks and balances on these things. So it is very easy for all of this to creep into the home. And I want to encourage you to check out Ryan Dobson's uh, program. He he has a Rebel Parenting. That is, it is a ministry that he is now a part of, and he has been working diligently to provide tools and resources that enable parents to put checks and balances on all of the media that is, that is going on in the home. So go back to Rebel Parenting. Check that out when you get a chance. That's, that's one way to guard yourself from that kind of temptation. But it's not just for our children. This is for adults, too. I will tell you that uh, you know one thing I started doing with my son— during uh, national football games, you know, even college level, but even especially in the NFL, uh, what you find is that the the camera is so quick between breaks to to go to the cheerleaders dancing around on the sideline. And I respect my wife too much to give in to that. So uh, what I started doing a long time ago is I would just look away. You know, I would look to something else, look to my wife, do something else. I I just made this a habit that I was going to honor my wife with my eyes. And in so doing, I was going to honor the Lord. And my son saw me doing this, and now I notice he does the same thing. That every time the cheerleaders come on and his wife's there in the room especially, he just turns away. Nobody has to prompt him or remind him. He wants to respect. Now, his wife also... In the same way. So we need to be selective about what our eyes are taking in. So we have to understand that when we watch television and movies, we need to do so selectively. In 2006, Time magazine reported a 96% increase in TV scenes with sexual content from 1998 to 2005, a 96% increase. ...of that sexual content, and it only continues. You just go back and watch reruns of Cheers or Seinfeld and Friends, you will see that steady increase in gratuitous content. So when you go to a theater, make sure you read the reviews on that movie before you go see it. Don't subject yourselves to that. Flee from that temptation. It will plant thoughts in your mind. So you need to monitor your internet use. As I just mentioned with Ryan Dobson's uh, Rebel Parenting program... Please uh, feel free to engage that and go learn more. He'll give you some tools on that. But internet pornography is one of those insidious sins in our everyday life. Men, women, children, all vulnerable to internet pornography. According to the Justice Department, they estimate now that 9 out of 10 children between the ages of 8 and 16 have been exposed to pornographic content online. They found that 47% of school aged children receive pornographic spam on a daily basis. Now, the COPA, which is the Child Online Protection Act, they established a commission that stated that as much as 20 to 30% of the traffic online is pornographic, going specifically to children's. Website. So if you have your computer there with you, even and you're examining this, one potential tool that you could use is covenanteyes.com. Go to covenanteyes.com. Use that to just as as a tool to filter what comes through your computer. Now, again, Rebel Parenting with uh, Ryan Dobson, they've got even greater tools, but Covenant Eyes is a great one. I, I really do enjoy that one. I think it works good, but uh, feel free to check that out, covenanteyes.com. So you also need to find an accountability partner. Every Christian needs a godly person of the same sex to ask the hard questions too. So like a malignant cancer to the body, sexual immorality internally destroys the soul like no other. So we have to be freed from this. We need to confess our sin one to another and ultimately to Almighty God and be freed from the shackles of that. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. But go back and reread the story of King David from 2 Samuel 12. And and you'll see that an entire nation suffered because of his sexual immorality, including his children's children, all due to lust and sexual sin. So did he repent before the Lord? Yes. But were there still real consequences Yes, but we praise God that he is gracious to forgive and removes our sin as far east is from the west, according to Psalm 103. So we are told here in verses 19 to 20, he goes on, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So there are three important points to these last two verses. First, we are the temple of God. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 to 17, Paul had addressed that in the context of the believers as a whole being the temple of God. And the same Greek word that's now being was used in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is also used here in 1 Corinthians 6, which is the Greek word naos that is used of the individual Christian and speaks of the holy of holies. Okay, so the most sacred place for the people of God of the Old Testament, Paul is saying that God himself is a resident in you, that the holiest place in the tabernacle is represented now by you when you have given your life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. You are now the naos, the holy of holies. So your body is his mailing address. He dwells in you. So a church building is never called the Holy of Holies. It's the assembly of God's people and you. So if the body is a house of the Holy Spirit, it should only be used for the very best purposes. It's a sacred house, a dwelling place for God. Now the second word of good news is in the middle of verse 19. And we've been given the Holy Spirit as a gift. We have received Him, and He lives inside of us, ready to help us, in our battle against sin. So he's called the paracletos, which means a counselor or helper. And you can go to Romans chapter 8 on that as well. So we've been given a divine resource in the battle against the flesh and against sexual sin. We, we don't have to be in bondage any longer because we have the power of the Spirit of God within us to supernaturally help us resist temptation. So finally, we, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. You were bought. And this is a powerful point that we need to dwell on here for a moment. It all points back to Christ's redemptive work on the cross. You go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 on that. So Paul's image does not picture a slave being sold and then being set free, but being transferred by sale from one owner to another. So formerly, we were slaves of sin, and now we are slaves to God. Now, this is in a good context. You go back to Romans chapter 6, 16-23 to 23 and 7-6 on that. So, what he's trying to drive the point of here that we need to really take hold of is your body is God's body. We're not the masters of our bodies anymore. Your body is God's body. Verse 20 teaches that we've been purchased by God at a tremendous cost. The blood of Jesus Christ. And it was shed on the cross for each and every one of us. And that blood has cleansed us from sin. So in light of this great purchase price, Paul commands us to glorify God through sexual purity, out of gratitude and obedience for what Jesus did. In fact, this is one of the commands that Paul was evaluating with Peter, with the council to the Gentile church, to abstain from sexual immorality. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So this is one of the key commands that were given to the Gentile church. Now, Jesus stood for us, and now it's time that we stand for him. It's not easy. He didn't call us to the easy. So we have the privilege of living our lives in a way that honors God, and we do so physically, emotionally, relationally, in every way possible. So being sexually pure does affect our relationships with each other, and it ultimately affects our relationship with the Lord. He is the only one to whom we owe adoration and ultimate obedience to. And this is an amazing reality. You see, God can be glorified in the choices we make in expressing ourselves each and every day, especially with what we do with our body. You see, the Lord is honored when we resist sexual temptation. And he gives us the privilege to ex- express our sexuality in beautiful, appropriate ways within the marriage relationship. Because the marriage relationship was established by God, created by God. And according to Ephesians chapter five, points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the head of his church and he and he really paints the picture of how marriage is an imagery of Christ and his. Church. So we were living that out as we have a relationship with our spouse as they sharpen us, as they challenge us, as we learn to do life with them and serve them and footwash to them and, and serve them more than ourselves. And what we're learning is putting on the mind of Christ, the action and service of Christ, just like what should be modeled within the church. So how we maintain our purity within our marriage will have a ripple effect to everything in our sphere of influence. It'll, it'll impact our work life, our, our, our social life, our, our service before Almighty God in the church and ministry that is before us, everything is impacted. So, the call in this passage is to renounce dishonoring God with our bodies and to rejoice in and to embrace what we're called to in glorifying God, which begins in our hearts and minds. You go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2 on that, and it's expressed through our physical body. So what we have put our minds to, what what Jesus did at the Sermon on the Mount was call out the fact that if we have thought about it, that's where sin originated. The body was a byproduct, the action of the body was a byproduct of what the mind was already thinking. That's why we must dwell on what is pure, what is noble, what is praiseworthy because what comes into our minds will then be uh, you know come out of us. It will come out of our thoughts, it'll or out of our words, out of our actions, a byproduct of how we move, act, and breathe will be based on what is coming in. Uh, It's a spiritual food, if you will, that produces a spiritual output. So God is committed to working in us to make us sexually pure, consistent, integrated, and a whole people. But you have to say, you know, you must examine this and say to yourself, I'm going to walk it. I'm going to live the life that I have been called to live. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to let this rule over me. And some of you may be listening to this and going, you know, it's an impossible expectation. We live in a sexually saturated society. So lower the bar. Give me something realistic to shoot for. (laughs) My flesh might like to, but the Bible is specific on this, that God will not permit it. And for our own good. God loves us too much to allow us to wallow in sin, to use our freedom as a license for sin. Instead, the Bible exhorts us to strive for perfection, according to Matthew 5, 48. Let me give you an example here. There's an NBA player back in the day at six foot nine and 224 pounds. He was the epitome of strength and stamina. His name is A.C. Green, and he held the NBA record for consecutive games played at 1,192. He was an Iron Man, and he married at the age of 38 as a virgin. Now, his story was shared around the world on ABC News, and during his rookie year with the Los Angeles Lakers, A.C.'s teammates said that he'd never be able to keep his vow to save himself for marriage and he said we're going to give you 6 weeks is what AC said that they told him that they're they're saying they were already like taking bets here we're going to give you 6 weeks to hold to this vow. Now, according to Sports Illustrated article, it goes on and he says, uh, you'll see this. This teammates were trying to prod him. And he says, you'll see this girl coming to the forum and you'll start getting your paychecks. And so AC had spent plenty of time around guys who were just blowing all their paychecks on all the girls around him in the lifestyle uh, that was there very prominent within the NBA at that time. So uh, AC goes on to say that abstinence before marriage is something I very much believe him. He says it's a responsibility, the main issue that is responsibility and being responsible for the decisions that you make, realizing that every decision has a consequence. He goes on to say, I made the decision as a teenager to be abstinent, and I wanted to take control of my future. I, I wasn't a popular person at that time, and it certainly wasn't a popular decision. So, just like it, it can be an unpopular decision now. And it doesn't always make us more friends, but the friends that we should have, that I have, are true friends. So, true to themselves and true to me. And we know each other's goals and dreams, and we encourage each other to achieve them. And it isn't easy. And God didn't call us to the easy. AC goes on to say, but every single day I say yes to abstinence, and it becomes that much easier. If you make a decision, and you practice it, that practice turns into a habit, and the habit becomes a lifestyle. So if A.C. Green could remain sexually pure in a very promiscuous Arena of other individuals who are surrounded by other women and giving into their sexual loins and, and desires and not remaining pure in that culture where it was almost anticipated, expected, and encouraged. And I'm not certainly, I'm not trying to, you know, throw any any mud on the NBA here. We just, uh, we know what goes on behind the scenes, or at least we have an idea of what goes on behind the scenes. And AC gave us a look at that during his particular uh, run in the NBA. So if he could do it then, we can do it. And so what you may be asking yourself that question right now. Well, what should I do then if I've already blown it? Because a message like this can be painful to many of us who might have memories that start to surface, perhaps even all the guilt that goes with it. So number one, you confess the sin for God is able and he is willing to forgive. Number two, you purpose in your heart to quit now. Some people are tempted to say, I'm already guilty, I've blown it, so what difference does it make now? One more act of fornication isn't going to make me any worse, I'm already dirty. Well, don't kid yourself. Sexual sin is a cumulative type Thing. It, it's, it has damaging effects especially when it starts to add up you, you've got to stop now don't let the compounding effect of it continue to ruin your life it, it's much like carbon monoxide you see carbon monoxide stays in a person's system for a long time with the result that a non-lethal dose can then sometimes kill a person because of the accumulation of poison in their system a, a second act of immorality is not a freebie It compounds the sin of the first one and spreads the cancer a little further and eats away a little more at the person's personality and their spirit. So the only way to deal with such sin is immediately, radically, permanently, and to complete dependence upon God. So covenant with God right now that you'll never let it happen again. Ask him, To give you the strength. Become accountable to someone. Now, in recent years, there's been this movement among Christian young adults, especially, that they've called secondary virginity. And it's been a way to encourage those who have already sinned sexually at a young age to establish a new marker and to commit to abstinence from now until their marriage. And I applaud those who have committed to starting over. So number three... If you're not guilty yourself, be willing to forgive others who are. Uh, but You may be saying, but you don't understand. My wife's infidelity was a breach of faith, and it was so traumatic. I'll never be able to forgive her. Now, or you may be as a, as a woman, maybe you're thinking of your husband. My husband's addiction to pedography has been so degrading. I'll never be able to trust him again. Well, then you have to ask yourself, how much has God forgiven us? You may not think you can forgive, but the Lord can Change your heart. Go to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14 on that. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. It's a decision to do what God does for you every single day. Matthew chapter 6, 14 to 15. So listen closely. If you've been affected by pornography or even battling an addiction to pornography and you desire a strategy for recovery, then make plans now to get involved with a, an organization that's called From Porn to Grace. Okay. This is this organization is actually it's a it's a series of conferences and seminars it's put on by an organization called Blazing Grace. And Blazing Grace has really been doing a phenomenal job uh trying to help families far and wide because half of all Christian families report that pornography is a problem. 40% of women, 60% of men are dealing with sexual addictions according to Josh McDowell. So this form, From Porn to Grace conference and this series of events they're, they're putting on, you can find more, learn more at blazinggrace.org. You, you see, sexual allurement is extremely enticing, and it promises pleasure and satisfaction, but it never delivers what it promises, and it's actually the way of death. Go to Proverbs chapter five. So, if you need to confess something to God, if you need to flee, or if you need to forgive, now is the time to make a commitment to do exactly that. I I I want everyone right now, if you can just think about it, to close your eyes right now. Go to God in prayer. Now, if you're driving, don't do this. But when you get a chance, go to God in prayer. Highlight this day as a standing stone in your life, where you are making a decision right now to start following God with all your heart, with all your mind. With all your soul, according to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, ask for forgiveness and restoration and watch God work in your life. I assure you that God is eager to hear from you. Now is the time to get the record straight, to repent, to watch God restore, to watch God heal in mighty ways, not only in your life, but in your sphere of influence, God can restore. God is in the restoration business. I love that. I hope you've been encouraged today. We're going to continue on in our study of 1 Corinthians next week. Again, I want to thank you for listening to learn more about our ministry. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends.